And so may I speak in the name of Jesus, our Saviour, Redeemer and Lord, in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please uh, have a seat. I want to take as my text uh, for Christmas morning that verse out of John's Gospel, verse 3. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. Now, um, since uh, Theological College, I have learnt not to preach a long sermon, uh, but that doesn't mean, because it's not long, it's not allowed to have some depth, and hopefully this will have some depth. However, I picked a subject that could keep us here to Boxing Day, so please pray that I uh, stay uh, close to my text and don't um, go away from it, because I too want to have my Christmas meal. Now last week, if you know who he is, um, I have been auditioning for the part of Mr. Poppy. How many of you know who Mr. Poppy is from the film Nativity? Have you come across it? Anybody here watch Nativity? One. Oh, two. Okay, three maybe. I've watched the film Nativity. Okay, well it's, it's a rather humorous film uh, about a teaching assistant. In fact, there's a whole series of films about a teaching assistant who's just a bit too larger than life, but is absolutely mad on Christmas. Now, I have to say, I'm an absolute Chris- Christmas file. I love Christmas. I really, really love it. And, um, and I know that for some, you don't love it. And I know that this year... For some, Christmas is particularly hard. However, I can't help still loving it. And I quite liked the fact that I watched, in total, watched and participated in, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six nativity plays this year. This is my all-time record. And so I have had an overwhelming overdose of cuteness all week. And the thing that has, um, in fact, I did three nativity plays in less than 24 hours. That also is a new record for me. And each one of those nativity plays was a different telling of the same stories. Same characters, same screenplay, different actors, apart from they were all primary school children, apart from the alternatives, which was the best. Do do we all know who the alternatives are? So the alternatives were downstairs. So we did their nativity play. And it was absolutely fabulous until the point where the angels went on strike and they fell out with each other and, um, in real life. And so, did, <laughs> so refused to come and do the annunciation. So it did throw me into a bit of a pickle. And it was rather a wonderful, uh, uh, a very, very wonderful um, nativity play. And I've greatly enjoyed it. However, each of these storytellings was very slightly different. Now, our Gospel story this morning is taken from the famous prologue of St. John's Gospel. And he writes it with a very specific purpose. Not sure if you noticed, but in John's version, no shepherds, no angels, no wise men... A bit of a reference, but hidden to Mary, no Joseph, no nothing. And yet, the other main actor in the nativity story is phenomenally present. The presence of the Holy Trinity in the story of the nativity. 
And I think as I want to, and that's why I've gone for this text. Because having watched six nativity plays, the primary actor has been missing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And their action in bringing this most amazing moment of all humankind into being. And I think it's true of us, isn't it, Christians, that sometimes we can be all about the physical, and we should be, and I'm going to get into that. But we should never, ever, for one second, forget this most beautiful and overwhelming truth. And it's as if, when you read the book of Philippians, or the beginning of the book of Colossians, it's as if the Apostle Paul has not got sufficient language. Even John in the, in the book of Revelation, he hasn't got enough language to talk about the most incredible moments when God became flesh. When God became flesh. And Matthew's Gospel talks about light coming to the people of Israel and to the Gentiles. Luke's story takes us into the story of the liberation of captives and the fulfilling of prophecy to the world. But John has a very different agenda. And it isn't really until chapter 3 that we begin to see what John's agenda is. And we see it in verse 16. For God, come on, you know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now I think because we're very human, we focus on the have faith and not perish. But we forget the first bit. And the first bit's the bit that's really important, and it's that that I want to preach on this morning. God loves the world. God loves the world. Lexi, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you, Paul. He loves you, Hermione. He loves you. And I, Paul at the back, he loves you. Miltina, he loves you. And this is the thing that I think we... If I preach anything between now and the day I draw my last breath, I want to talk to people about the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. And this is what John is trying to say. That we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I know that I know that I know the thing that draws me into believing is not so much all the academic work I may have done. It might not be all the learning that I have done. It might not be all the, you know, the churchy stuff that I've done. I tell you what draws me into believing it is when I see the love of God in action in and through his people, in their lives, in their being, in their prayers, in their... And there is nothing more beautiful than seeing this. Now I need to somehow get back on track, because I've gone right off now. Now as we light this final candle today, that lights up the whole world, we're talking about darkness cannot overcome the light. Those are the themes we see in this passage of John's. Patriarchs point to the light. The prophets point to the light. John the Baptist and Our Lady point to the light. But Jesus... I want you to retain this. I don't know how to do this, so you'll retain it. 
but Jesus is the light by which we should see everything around us because Christ is not his second name Christ is who he is Christ is what he does to everything in the whole of creation it is the light of the love of God which is the source of all life now I am in real danger right now of going off peace and talking about a guy called uh, Charles Tayyard Duchada and I'm not going to do it, I'm going to stop it but I'm going to leave you the name so you can google it Tayyard Duchada, okay? but where I am going now and you might guess who's going to get mentioned 800 years ago a little man of Assisi went up into a mountain village called Greccio and he decided to celebrate Christmas in a very different way. He did it in this little village where the people were phenomenally poor because it's hard to scratch a living in the mountains. And he found a cave and he took a donkey, a sheep and an ox and he made a cast of characters from the villagers themselves. And in that cave he went off peace and didn't celebrate in the parish church he celebrated the Christmas Eucharist in the altar he built and turned the manger into an altar now this week I've been preparing some people for baptism this person for baptism and they come from a non-text culture and it was only when I got to the final rehearsal I suddenly thought oh gosh they can't read but suddenly I had to really rethink what I was doing. Because we all assume, don't we, in our modern world, that people can read. But the vast majority of the world probably still can't read. And certainly, it's only in the last hundred years that the Western world has been able to read. And so what we see here was that Francis did something very, very, very important. He decided that he had to do whatever he could do to bring God close to the people. He even spoke in the native dialect and not in Latin. What he did was completely revolution. And I think there's something wrong when churches or people want to move God away from people when I do believe that somehow within us the deepest desire within us, but even more, the deepest desire within God is to know one another. God wants to be close to us, close to his creation, close to where love is. We worship a trinity of love where out of sheer love, God's creation pours out of their love. Everything we see, and especially you, you are the fruit of God's love. That's who you are. You are the product of the love of God. And all we have to do in our, this life, if I'm really truthful, you want to say, why am I alive? Why am I on this earth? Well, in the words of Fred Syriax, is to be loved and to love is to allow the love of God into your hearts and allow that love to transform you and transfer you and to turn your face back towards the God of love who created you. 
Now, there was a later Franciscan after St. Francis, a guy called John Duns Scotus, a Scotsman, who said this, that the first thought in God was Christ. In fact, us Franciscans have been in theological hot water for 800 years because we decided that Christmas was the big deal. That actually God coming into the earth meant that, yes, Easter was going to happen, but it wasn't the main deal. The main deal was that God had come out of nothing else but love and we even went out and said this kind of fairly radical statement was that if Adam and Eve had not sinned Jesus would still have come purely because God is love you see if you are a creator and you want to love your creation you want to be like them illustration whole family in Christmas jumpers on the front row because they hold something together. You can tell they're a family. You can tell when you walk in here who's related to who. You can see it. Because they carry... I'm really sorry. Okay. Some of you shaking your heads. But it's because you carry the DNA of your family. My 32-year-old daughter said this morning, I think I'm turning into mum. I said, you said it, not me. But there's something about us, isn't there? There's something about us that actually we can't help it because we carry the DNA of the Creator. We were made for love and that love shall and should live in us. Love by its very nature is giving, emptying, sacrificial and nurturing. The Christ event at Christmas is the ultimate giving of God. That which was not became, because that which is the source of all being, became something or someone. And I've used really bad language to describe that. Because by the very being of God, creation comes because of what God is like. So when you begin to see that through the incarnation, everything became Christed, then you begin to understand, I want to say to you, the day of Pentecost a little better. That when the Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh, then you can say, oh, everything is getting Christed. We're gradually seeing in our world, as dark as it may seem this Christmas, the Christing of everything continues. So you're going to ask me, what's this going to do on a day when we are going to probably eat, drink and be merry? Well, somewhere in all of this, I want you to invite you to stop. Stop and look at that thing in your home that reminds you of love. Because you see, and I'm sorry this is so corny, Wet, wet, wet. We're right. Love is all around us. And the music starts. In a horrible year, when half a million men are going to the front in Ukraine, in what seems like the most godless war in Gaza and Palestine. 
when the homelessness increases, when the NHS looks like it's on its knees at times, when everything looks sad, when the battle cry of government is stop the boats, when everything that somehow in our lives looks dark, I want to point here. I want to point to the crib. Because I want to say to you all that love will prevail. And all that is upon us as human beings is to stop looking into the eyes of others as our enemies, our foes, or whatever identity you want to give them and do what the Bible teaches and look at them and see them as your brother or sister who carries in them that vestige of the divine the very love of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen